a lot. You have to like them a lot. You've got to be friends. I'm not talking about Facebook friends. I'm not talking about acquaintances. I'm not talking about roommates. I'm talking about really deep, true friends, BFFs. That's what I'm talking about. See, we don't talk about friendship a lot in marriage, do we? We don't, not really. It's kind of an assumed thing. It's kind of like, hey, you guys got married, so you must be friends. You must get along perfectly, right? But that's hardly obvious. I mean, we all know people who are married, and they don't like each other. They're not friends. They don't like spending time together. They're not doing any of those friend things, right? See, it's not a given, but a lot of times we treat it like it is. In fact, I read one uh, Christian author, and he noted that, uh, that in a survey of almost 200 books on Christian marriage, that not one of them had a substantial sex. More it is, is love is more than friendship, right? That's not all there is to it. But it's never less than friendship, right? You can't have love without friendship because friendship is what sustains that love. As one leading sociologist studying marriage said, said that the friendship is what drives, it's what fuels romantic love. And so if we think about this dance, right, that within marriage it's supposed to be this dance of putting each other first, and if I can put it this way, friendship is what fuels the dance. It's what fuels that fire. It's what keeps it going, and it's what kicks it into gear. Okay, so what I want to do this morning is I want to talk a little bit about friendship and explain to you, I hope very practically, how this can really change how we understand relationships, how we understand love, and how we handle conflict. All right, so to do that, I want to look at three characteristics of friendship. And there's a lot of different things we could talk about. I just want to look at three parts of it. All right, and the first one is, I skipped this part. The first part here is that a true friend is always there. The slide that I skipped right here, I'll just throw this out here. Just backing myself up because I intended to do this because I'm not just making this up. Scripture actually talks about this. If you go to the most romantic place in the Bible where it talks about love, what does the author say? He says, this is my beloved and this is my friend. See, they go hand in hand. They always go together. You can't have one without the other. All right. So a true friend, we're talking about friendship, characteristics of friendship. A true friend is always there. When, uh, when Carrie and I first got married, we moved into this little 450-square-foot apartment. And so when you were in a tiny little apartment that's a little bit bigger than this stage, and uh, we didn't even have furniture to hide behind at the time, we didn't own anything, what you discover is that that other person is always there. They're always there. And you can't get away from them. And I've talked to other husbands about this. And they're like, I know, it kind of freaked me out. I don't know what it is. It's like we didn't grasp that, that this was going to happen. But suddenly Carrie and I are in this tiny little apartment. And when I wake up, there she is. We go to work, I come back, there she is. We have dinner together, there she is. Go to bed, there she is. Right, she's always there. Kind of freaked me out just a little bit. A little bit of a panic attack. But I'll tell you, once I figured this out, once I figured this out, this was so cool. What I discovered is that Carrie is the one person in the world who doesn't drain me. See, I love all of you. You're all beautiful, wonderful people, and I love talking to you, but you drain me. I'm an introvert. You may not believe that, but I am. I'm an introvert, okay? And so people, they just suck the life right out of me. Now, some of you are going to hear this wrong, and you're going to say, Lucas doesn't like me, and he doesn't want to talk to me, he doesn't want to hang out with me. That's not what I said. I love you all. You're wonderful. Come see me anytime, all right? Come by the office. Let's go to lunch, whatever. I love you. You drain me, okay? I love my children, I love my children. They drain me. They wear me out. Carrie is the exception. She's the one person. I can spend all day with her and I feel energized, right? And it's the same for her with me. She's an introvert, but I energize her. I'm the one person. And because of that, we spend all kinds of time together. Inordinate amounts of time together. That whole idea of vacationing separately, I'm not saying it's wrong if you do it. 
But for us, that does not compute. See, spending time together for us, always being there with each other, that is part of how we cultivate our friendship, and that's how we do marriage. And it's how we stay in love. It's how we keep the dance going. In fact, if you go back to Genesis, one of the first primary purposes that God gives us for marriage is companionship. Somebody who's always going to be there. What does it say? Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I'm alone. All right, some of you are single. You're going, hello, this guy right here, I'm alone. Okay, when God says it's not good for man to be alone, that's not exactly what he's talking about. So I'm not trying to be trite here. I'm really not. Listen to me, I'm serious. You're not alone. This is talking about you're not alone on a desert island kind of alone, okay? So if you're single out there, understand that God may have someone for you. But if not, understand that this church, that's what this is about. You're not alone. Now, is marriage unique in its companionship? Is it unique in its relationship? Yes, it is. But hear me, and I mean this as an encouragement. If you're single... You're not alone, not like Adam was alone. Okay, so God says, all right, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make him a helper fit for him. Now, before you get up in arms over this idea that God has created a woman to be the man's slave or servant or something, just understand that this helper is the same word that God uses to describe himself. The Holy Spirit who comes to indwell us and to be with us always. That's the kind of help he's talking about. All right, so... He says, I will make him a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. See, one of God's main purposes for marriage is having someone to do life with, someone to journey alongside with you. Somebody who's going to be there on that as a traveling companion because life is hard. And see, we're not just talking about physical presence, right? We're talking about there's an emotional and a psychological side to this as well. Where that person, even if they're not physically there, you know that they're on your side. You know they're always there for you. You know that when the chips are down, that person is going to have your back. Always. They're always going to be there for you. They're always going to have your back. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 18.24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. See, the idea here is that a good friend is somebody who you can go into battle with. A good friend is somebody who's in the trenches with you. They're a foxhole friend. That when everybody else is against you and all the bullets are flying and everybody, you don't know who's going to stab you in the back next. That that friend is somebody who's right there with you and they're going to be on your side no matter what. That is the sign of a true friend. That's what friendship is about. A true friend also wants your best. Proverbs 27, 6. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. So the idea here is that, that you've got this friend, this true friend, and you trust them so implicitly that they can tell you whatever you need to hear. But now understand here, if you're going to trust them that way, how are you trusting them? You're trusting them in the sense that they want your best. You know they're not out to get you. They're not out to undermine you or stab you in the back. They want your best. That's what they're after. And because of that, they can speak the hard truth to you. Do you think that might be helpful in marriage? Does it seem like that might be kind of useful? If you knew that your spouse was on your side and you knew that they wanted your best, man, that would change how we have some of those conversations, wouldn't it? When we feel like we're attacked or we're attacking them. It would change things, wouldn't it? Just file that away. We're going to talk more about that. All right, last but not least, a true friend believes the best about you. This one is so key. This one is so key. 
1 Corinthians 13, 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. See, this is the sign of a true friend. They believe the best about you, even though they know the worst. One of the key characteristics for marriages that work and marriages that last is that the two spouses, their natural default, no matter what happens, is to maintain a positive impression of the other person. So it doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter how they mess up or how they screw up or how they let you down or whatever. There's still this underlying belief that overall they're a good person who loves you and loves your marriage and cares about you. You see what I'm saying? And so think about how this changes the dynamic in your marriage because here's somebody who they've let you down, they've messed up, but suddenly instead of saying, well, you don't love me and you don't like me and you hate our marriage, there's this realization that you believe the best about them and you say, you know what? I know you love me. I know you screwed up. And we're going to deal with that, but I know you're, you're on my side. I know that you want the best for me. I'm believing the best about you. Do you see how that makes a difference? Man, it changes everything in the way that we can communicate, in the way that we can handle conflict. All right? So those are the three, right? A true friend is always there for you. A true friend wants the best for you. A true friend believes the best about you. Now think about this. If you had that kind of friendship with your spouse Think about how that would change you. Think about how different things would look for you. Because remember what we said, friendship fuels love. Okay, so ladies, just think about this for a second. Think about that time when your husband, he says to his parents, hey, it's not about you, it's about her. It's not what you think. I don't care how you think we should raise the kids. I don't care how you think we should do life. I don't care how you think we should handle all this. I'm going to talk to my wife. I'm on her side. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever experienced that? In that moment, you are madly in love with your man, right? In that moment, it's like, man, he is on my side. He's got my back. It doesn't matter what his parents say. It doesn't matter what his friends say. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. He's with me. How cool is that? You see that? That friendship, that act of friendship saying, I'm with you no matter what. What does that do? It fuels that love. Man, she is in love with you guys when you do that. When you show her, when you demonstrate to her that you're on her side. Guys, when you come home from work and you're discouraged because your boss is an idiot, right? And they don't appreciate you and life is hard when you're at work and and the clients are falling down and nothing's working and everything's going wrong and you walk in and your wife says, you're too good for them. I know you're fantastic. I know you can do it. Your boss is a fool. Right? Now, that may not be very helpful in a practical sense, but are you in love with her at that moment? Yes. In that moment, you're like, you're amazing. I'm so in love with you, right? That friendship, it fuels that love, that feeling of love. It's friendship that drives that dance and it kickstart that dance back into gear. And here's where it gets really cool because it also, when we want to step out of the dance, the friendship brings us back in. All right? Because when we talk about conflict, It's when we're trying to leave the dance. We're trying to say, hey, go dance by yourself. And what the friendship does is it brings us back in. It helps us handle that conflict for one very simple reason. It means that we can attack the problem without attacking each other. We can attack the problem without attacking each other. See, what friendship says is that I'm on your side. Remember? I'm with you. Whatever happens, come hell or high water, I'm with you, right? And so whatever problem arises, whatever conflict that comes up that we've got to deal with, at that point, we can externalize it and we can say, nothing comes between us and now let's kick that problem's hiney, right? We're going to take that sucker out because you're on the same team. You're on the same side. 
All right, let me give you an example of this. Um, actually, before I do that, let me tell you where we get into trouble. Uh, part of the problem here is that a lot of times we get our priorities confused when it comes to conflict. And what we think is that we're supposed to win. A lot of times we think that arguments are meant to be won. In which case, our spouse is the opponent and they have to be defeated. You following me? Everybody tracking with me? I know we got off to a rough start. Everybody, everybody alive? Everybody awake? Okay. Is it just so serious? Is that the problem? You're, you're afraid of where this is going, aren't you? Okay, it's okay. It's going to be fine, all right? We'll all hold hands and sing kumbaya afterwards. We're going to be all right. I promise. Stick with me here, okay? Look, here's the problem. When, when we think that the argument is something to be won, when we think it's something that we've got to then defeat our spouse, then what that means is we have justification to attack them, Right? Because I'm right, you're wrong, I'm going to take you out. I've got, to, I've got to put you down because you're wrong. And if you're wrong and you were to win, oh my gosh, that could destroy the world, right? It would destroy our marriage. So you've got to be dealt with. I have to fix you. I have to make sure you understand this, okay? And so what we do is we attack not the problem, we attack our spouse. So let me give you an example of what this looks like. All right, so husbands, uh, you find out that your wife has just spent an inordinate amount of money on something that you didn't really need. I know, I'm, I'm, this is, I'm pulling this out of left field here, okay? Just making this up on the fly. All right, so husbands, you find out that your wife has spent something that you, there's no way you need that, okay? And she just spent all this money on it, and this wasn't part of the budget, and you're hacked. And wives, you come home knowing that this is coming, because you're coming home carrying whatever that magical thing is, and you know that you actually do need it. And it doesn't matter what the budget says because it was on sale and you were saving a lot of money, okay? And I'm actually, I'm actually trying to keep these balanced, okay? It's just hard. Um, look, the reality is that both sides think that they're right, okay? And so then you enter into that conversation and what happens? It goes something like this. The escalation starts to happen. It starts to be like, I can't believe you spent this money. I can't believe you won't let me spend money. And the next thing you know, name calling starts happening. And she's saying, this is so typical of you. This is just like you. You never let me spend money. You don't care about what I want. In fact, I'm not sure if you care about me at all. And he's saying, I care plenty about you. I care that you're a spoiled child who has no appreciation for money or how to balance a budget. He says, if you had any appreciation for money or how hard I worked, then you would never spend some money like this. Well, you don't like me and you don't care about our marriage. I don't think you love me at all. I think you're trying to destroy our life and put us into financial bankruptcy, right? This is what happens. Now, notice what's, what's occurred here. As this escalation has happened, are they attacking the problem? No, they're attacking each other. By the way, can I just point out that money problems are never about money? Just side note. It's never about money. It's about values. It's about priorities. It's about how you're trying to accomplish the things that you want to accomplish in your life, all right? And, and so instead of dealing with the problem of maybe they need a better budget or maybe they need to talk about how to finance, how they need to save, all that kind of stuff, instead they've turned it into an, a, a, a character attack, right? You always do this. You, this is so typical of you. You don't love me. You're a spoiled brat, so on and so forth. Can I tell you a secret? If you try to win an argument, if that's your goal, is to win an argument with your spouse, to make them see how they're wrong and you're right, I promise you, you've already lost. I promise you. Winning is not the goal. No romantic dinner for two ever started with one spouse throwing up their hands and saying, you're right, you win. It's never happened. Winning arguments is a great way to lose your spouse. 
And they may not divorce you, but they may not leave you, but you'll lose their heart. You'll lose their heart. Winning isn't the goal. Now, a lot of us, if we've read any books on marriage, okay, if we've ever uh, heard anybody talk about this, probably what a lot of us are thinking is, well, the key here is they've got to communicate better. Right? Because this language, man, it's so toxic. When you're accusing each other like that, you're attacking each other, well, they've got to learn how to listen to each other and have better communication techniques. And so they need to take turns and they need to listen and then speak. And here comes a football and I'm distracted easily. Squirrel. Um, right? They've got to take turns. They've got to listen to each other and understand and then repeat back to me what I just said so that we're clear. That's all fine and good. But can I tell you something? That is not enough. It's not enough. And I'll tell you why very simply. Listen to me. If your spouse doesn't know that you're on their side, if they don't believe that you have their best interest at heart, I don't care how well you communicate. They're not listening. You hear me? Same goes for you. If you don't believe that your spouse has your best interest at heart, that, you're, that they're on your side, then you're not believing the best about them and you're not listening. It doesn't matter how polite and civil and beautiful all your conversations are. It's not enough. See, good communication only guarantees one thing. Good communication techniques only guarantee one thing. That's that two people can have a very civil and polite argument. That's all it guarantees. And you and I both know people who are very civil and very polite and they hate each other's guts. You see? It's not enough. It's not enough. You need that friendship. You need to know that you're on each other's side. You've got to have that foundation. And then if you've got great communication skills, all the better. That's fantastic. But being civil to each other, that's not the goal. That's not the goal any more than winning is the goal. Real reconciliation, real resolution means that you start on the same team. You have that argument and you come full circle and you end up right back where you started. And couples who have that friendship, who have that foundation, who are on the same team, they can fight, they can yell, they can scream. I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying you can. All right? Better if you don't. But they can go through all that because underneath there's this understood that they're on the same team. Are you following me? I'm not saying good communication doesn't matter. Do it. It's great. It's important. But it's not enough. Friendship says we start on the same team. And wherever we end up, no matter how embittered this argument gets, we're going to end on the same team. We're still on the same side. You you guys tracking with me? Okay. It's just a hard morning. I know. You guys are struggling. I'm struggling. We're going to make it. All right? Winning isn't the goal. If you get nothing else from this morning, okay, listen to me. Winning isn't the goal. Being civil and having polite arguments, that's not the goal. It's helpful, but being civil isn't the goal. Communication isn't the goal. Love is the goal. Love is the goal. And friendship is. It's the fuel for that fire. It's what gets us there. It's what kickstart that dance. It's when we start to back out, it brings us back in. Friendship is the goal. And when you've got that friendship, then you can argue and you both win. You both win. It doesn't matter what the argument is. Good communication is great. Friendship fuels the love and it keeps you in the dance. All right. Here's where we're going to end. Um, Friendship is not easy, though. See, what I don't want you to get confused on is that I'm saying this is some sort of a quick fix for your marriage or your love relationship. It's like, okay, I'm just going to go home and I'm just going to say, honey, I'm on your side. That's not going to do it. 
See, what we're talking about with friendship, those true friendships, it takes time to grow and to cultivate. And some of you, let's face it, you've got a long way to go because you don't really like your spouse that much, right? And so it begins, it takes time, it takes work, it takes effort of continually putting each other first, of continually saying, I'm there for you. I'm going to believe the best about you no matter what. But let's face reality, life is hard. And if you don't have that friendship, you're not going to have the kind of love that you want to have. Okay, so here, here's the deal. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not a quick fix. Some of you have a long way to go. But today you can start. Today you can begin to build that kind of friendship. But it's not easy. And there's going to be days and weeks, maybe longer, where you don't like your spouse. Where you don't want to always be there for them. Where you don't believe the best and you don't want the, the best for them. And it's in those moments that you desperately, desperately need the gospel. You've got to have the gospel because the gospel says that Jesus was that kind of friend for you. Did you catch that? Jesus is that kind of friend for you. What does he say in in the chapter of John, in uh, John chapter 15? He says, I don't call you servants. I call you friends. See, Jesus was the friend that you needed. He was there for you when you needed him most. When all the chips were down, when everybody turned against you, when there was no hope for you, you were lost in your sin. He was your foxhole friend. He went into battle for you. And he wanted the best for you to such an extent that he was willing to die for you and to give everything up so that you could have what you needed. You see that? And he believed the best about you. He believed you were worth fighting for. He believed you had value. He believed the best about you even though he knew the worst. See, Jesus is that friend that you need. And because he is, you can be that kind of friend to your spouse even when you don't feel like it. Because when you are convinced, when you know at the deepest part of your soul that Jesus is that kind of friend for you, when you know that, that he's there for you, he wants your best and he believes the best, then you can be that for your spouse. But it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen overnight. It begins today. You start today and you cultivate that friendship. And some of you, you've got a lot of work to do. Some of you, you're friends and that's great. Listen to me. If you're married or you're, you're dating and you guys are best friends, that's fantastic. Don't take that for granted. You gotta work at this. You got to keep spending time together, doing stuff together. You got to be intentional about it because I promise as you go along in your relationship, as life gets hard, it can begin to tear you apart. Those pressures come and conflict happens and it begins to split you. If you focus on that friendship, spend that time together, it will fuel the love and it will fuel the fire of your dance. Okay? And for those of you who are single, all right, I haven't forgotten about you. Those of you who are single, listen to me. When you're thinking about who it is that you're trying to find, it's not Mr. Perfect, it's not Miss Perfect. Those people don't exist. What you've got to find is a friend. Not just any friend. You've got to find the best friend in the world for you. Somebody who knows you better than you know yourself, who brings out the best in you. Not what the world says is attractive. We're talking about the best friend that you could possibly have. That's who you need to be looking for. And it might surprise you because they might be in your life right now and you never knew it, Right? Don't buy into what the world says. Find a friend. Cultivate a friendship. Because Jesus was that kind of friend for you. Okay? Here's your homework. And we'll be, wrap up. When you're leaving this morning, if you guys are, are everybody's going to get this, but if you're married, it's a quiz. It's a 20-question 20, uh, 20 quiz. All right? Because here's the deal. Look, if you're going to start your friendship today, you're going to start building that, start taking some of those steps, the first place you've got to start is getting to know each other again. Your spouse, if you've been married for longer than mm, six months, is not the same person when you marry them, okay? They've already changed on you. It's time to get to know them again, all right? So when you leave here, you're going to get 20 questions. Have fun with it, okay? 
Did you hear that? Please have fun with it. This is not another excuse to argue. <laughs> okay? <laughs> That's not my favorite color. Yes, it is. No. Have fun with it, all right? Have coffee, go to dinner, whatever you're going to do. Enjoy it. Have fun with it. Get to know each other. Cultivate that friendship and see what God does in it. I think you'll be surprised. All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the gift of marriage. And we thank you for friendship. We thank you that you've designed marriage because this is a chance for, Lord, we get to have somebody who's with us all the time, who believes the best about us, to have our best friend with us at all times. That's an incredible gift. And out of that, man, you want to cultivate the kind of love that this world is dying to experience, the kind of love that this world is dying to see on display. God, I just pray for the marriages in this room. God, I pray for the relationships in this room. God, I know some are probably sitting here thinking, man, I, I wish I had that kind of marriage. I wish I had that kind of relationship. Lord, I pray that you would encourage, and I pray that maybe this would be a first step. It's the most practical advice I can think of, just to go and to, to be a friend, to be, build that friendship. God, I pray that you would just encourage us. God, I know some are probably here wondering about what, wondering about what might have been. Because they've been down this path and they've seen the conflict and the tension and the pressures of life split them apart. And if there's a chance for reconciliation, Father, I pray that you would supply it. God, I pray that you would be that friend to them in this time. And I pray that all of us would remember the friendship that we have with you. That your son, when we didn't deserve it, when we weren't his friend, when we weren't on his side, he said, I'm going to be on your side. And he came and he gave his life so that we could have friendship with him. God, we thank you for all this. Encourage us as we go. Refresh us and keep us safe. And pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.